Hello, everyone. This is John Montoya. And this is John Parings. We are Infinite Banking Authorized Practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition. Episode number 64, what is an IBC policy? And so in this episode, we're going to talk about, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of information out there, right? To, and a lot of people talk about things like correctly designed life insurance policies um, when it comes to designing a whole life policy for infinite banking. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Like, wh- what is an infinite banking policy or, or an IBC style policy? You hear a lot of, you know, some of those types of terminologies out there. And uh, let's. Let's talk about some highlights of maybe we'll start with what it what it's not. You know, IBC is all about capital accumulation and becoming your own banker. So what it's not, what an IBC policy is not, it's not about the rate of return of the policy. It's not about how much you can get into the policy in the first year. And it's not only about the cash value, right? And so last of all, it's not an IUL. <laughs> so we're starting to see, uh, um, you know, maybe a little uptick in people talking about doing infinite banking with IUL, which is called, which is indexed universal life uh, for the folks out there just kind of getting into the insurance world. And, you know, I had a whole LinkedIn argument with a guy who came on my thing. I was, I made some post and he had a whole thing about, you know, why, why not do inf- infinite banking with IUL? And just his whole argument was, I didn't understand how IUL works. Apparently. So I'm like, okay, great argument. Um, but, uh, so w- we're going to kind of touch on some of these things here. And, and, um, by the way, we just got back from the, from the annual, uh, IBC think tank, which is the annual, um, meeting for all authorized infinite banking practitioners who get together, talk about current events, talk about obviously infinite banking. And, and, you know, one of the big topics this year was, um, you know, what is a policy, you know, how does, what should an infinite banking policy look like? And, you know, all the authorized people, I would say no, for the most part. Um, and, we just wanted to maybe reiterate it and, and quantify it a little bit more this year. And so it was a, it was a really good, um, you know, Ryan Griggs did a great, a great session. James Nethery did a great session. There were, I mean, they were all good. I'm just naming a couple because they just really hammered home on some of the policy design stuff. So anyway, I'm getting a little off topic here. We're, we're talking about what, what makes up an IBC policy. And so, um, Maybe I'll turn it over to you, John Montoya, and uh, I'll stop talking for a second. Well, I, I will add that uh, episode 37, Why Universal is Not Right for IBC, is the episode that you want to check out uh, for those people who are, you know, have heard of IULs and maybe are wondering, you know, why not, you know, an IUL for infinite banking. You can go right to that episode 37 and listen to us break down. The, the reasons why, and I'll give you a little hint, um, the, the guaranteed elements. Uh, we, we want bedrock, uh, not, not a, uh, a house built on sand. So check out that episode uh, when you have a chance and you'll come away understanding why we want whole life for IBC policies. So we, we talk about, um, you know, what is an IBC policy and there, there is, you know, this thinking that, 
we've got to dump as much money as we can in right away. And uh, there's been talk about the 1090 splits and how to formulate a policy, right? And um, the the people that are getting to this frame of thought, they're they're completely missing the, the bigger idea of what infinite banking is all about because it's, it's not trying to, um, solve a capital outlay in the first 30 days and then completely just disregarding, you know, the next seven, 10, 20 plus years of your life that this is long-term thinking. So the, the policy design is really secondary. You've got to mentally capture why in the world are you even interested in IBC in the in the first place? You know, understand your why, and then everything else is going to come together. Um, you know, you, you really got to figure out what problems you are trying to solve to even figure out if IBC is going to be the right solution for you. Uh, because if you're if you're trying to do you know something that uh, is achieving a rate of return or having, you know, the, the most cash value you can have in year one, you're, you're really not understanding what IBC is all about. So, uh, we wrote down in our notes here, uh, you know, what, what problems are we trying to solve? And the number one thing is, look, look, none of us control the banking equation. If you're not practicing IBC with a whole life policy, right? You don't have the banking equation solved in your life. And this is what we need to do. We need to learn how to figure out how to finance our lives. Because if we don't take care of this, then the banks are going to take care of of it for us. And we're constantly going to have to lean on them for every single phase in our life. John, you want to continue? Yeah. And I mean, I think, um, you hit the nail on the head, you know, policy design is secondary, you know, it's all about what we're trying to accomplish. And, you know, the other thing to remember is IBC is a process, not a product. And it depends on what kind of process you want to develop, right? Um, You know, if you're, if you're going to build your bank, right, do you want to build a bank that only, that can only uh, expand for, three to five years or seven years, right? Or do you want to build a bank that can continue to expand for uh, generations, right? Um, and the when we're talking about controlling the banking function or the banking equation, you know, what does that mean? I mean, there's so many things that can go into that. You know, we have like income replacement. We have, you know, replacing the traditional bank, um, controlling your cash flow, Um you know, going into retirement, creating guaranteed sources of income, right? Uh, a guaranteed legacy and reducing and eliminating taxes. Like all of these things are, are coming into that equation that we all know, all those things I just listed, we all know from a kind of typical um, financial planning sort of model that we're all taught. However, if we tie all of those things into controlling the banking equation, it takes on a totally new meaning um, because it, it starts from day one and, and can expand beyond what, what we're doing. It's not just adding up numbers. Now we're starting to multiply numbers. And, um, and, and so it's a, it's a really important place to start from where, 
you know, if we're making an IBC policy, does it address all of those things? And does it give us the control and does it give us all the options that it could, just like we would want to have with, with a business, right? We've said it on here a million times, like you're in two businesses, the business you're in, whether that's an actual, you know, a restaurant or a service business, or if you're an employee at a company, you're still in that business. But guess what? You should also be in the business of banking. Yeah. With that in mind, let, let's keep the, the long-term perspective because one of the things that I hit on is, you know, it's not the, the most important thing is not the immediate cash flow or the cash value in your first year, right. you want to look at this from a long-term perspective. And one of the things that Nelson uh, wrote in his book is if you knew going into passive income time, that every dollar of premium that you put into one of these whole life policies, you'd get back tax free. How much would you want to put into it? That's and right. if you're thinking, right, the, the answer is as much as possible, right? If you knew that you were going to every dollar that you put in, you'd get back tax free, then plus more. Why would you, you know, why would you want to put this to the side or, you know, even do, um, what's called a short pay. Now I understand that there are some arguments for a short pay, but again, we want you to think long-term Nelson was always big on thinking long-term because if you, the, the further away you get the, the, the longer term perspective that you have looking at your money situation. Um, you know, this is uh, low time, no, low time preference versus high time preference. You're going to make better decisions, not only for yourself, but for your family. And uh, ultimately when you become your own banker, you know, the, the more access to capital that you have, the better choices you're going to allow yourself to make in that, uh, low time, that low time preference, um, where the, the most successful people really are in that space because they don't get caught up in, well, emergencies, you know, I have to do this or I have to pull money out of here, or, you know, I have to load up my credit card because I didn't save enough because everything is, is such a high time frequency that you're constantly running from, you know, one investment to the next, or, you mm -hmm. know, you don't have that emergency fund saved up and you're, you're just, you're all over the place and you end up paying the price for it. Um, especially, you know, come retirement time, but even before then, because you basically don't accumulate the capital that you need in your lifetime. And as a result, you're always relying on the bank. So, um, bringing it back to, you know, thinking about a short pay, you know, that, that is one way to, uh, get, high upfront early cash values, but you're really shooting yourself in the foot later on. Yeah. And, and we just recorded an episode on this, you know, called showdown, uh, short pay versus long pay. And, you know, we, uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of proving with the numbers that, you know, a bunch of like trying to buy several short pays over your life because you, because the cash value accumulation looks better. Well, what's not being accounted for is what the cash value accumulation of a long pay looks like after that first five years and then after the for next five years and then the five years after that. And so the numbers actually don't work. The, the full story is not as good as what you think it is when you try to uh, stack a bunch of short pay policies uh, because the cash value accumulation looks better. Um, it actually performs 
worse than just a single long pay policy, um, just, just from the numbers. But then there's also the idea of like, you know, so John Montoya just said, um, you know, would, if, if you had all these features, would you want to put, you know, as little in, in there or as much as you could? And then, and then the other side of that time value of money, would you want to be able to put that only for a little bit of time? Or would you want to be able to put money in that, in that location for as long as possible? And that's one of the, you know, rules of thumb. And from an IBC design perspective, we want to try to pay a premium for as long as possible. Right. Um, of course, within reason, you know, we don't always necessarily think we're going to pay premiums all the way to age 100, but you never know, like people are living longer and longer. The way that we design policies is, is, um, we, we give you the most options, right? So you can always stop paying a whole life insurance policy. That's one of the myths out there is you have to pay forever. You don't have to pay forever. You can do what's called a reduced paid up or you, you can offset premium. There's a whole bunch of ways for you to not pay premium out of pocket. There aren't a whole lot of ways to continue paying a premium if you've stopped, right? Because we don't know what your insurability will be like. Um, you, we don't know what the, the premiums, uh, the premium price will be depending on your age. So, having designing every single policy like it's your last policy is i think one of a a, a crucial um design feature so that no matter what happens you have the best policy for the longest period of time with the most options that you can get um so that no matter what happens you you always have a place to put capital and then of course you know, there's always, there's the strategies that, that we've talked about in the past um, and having some convertible term, which has several benefits, including increasing your current death benefit. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's like, um, you know, people, people still mistake infinite banking and whole life insurance and they try to equate it to an investment. And that's not what we're doing. We're not building, we're not investing money here. Um, right. And that was, that was, uh, one of, one of our more recent episodes. I forget the, uh, the number of it, but it's like the last one or the second to last one we did. And, uh, what we're doing here is we're, we're building the bank <laughs> to finance all the, all the investment we're going to do in the future. So do you want to build a little bank or do you want to build a big bank, right? And if you build a big bank, it, you're starting a business. You don't get all your capital. No matter what business you start, you don't get all your capital on day one, right? And so all the all these folks that are, you know, looking at this and, and only focusing on the first couple of years of the policy, um, again, John Montoya already said, shooting yourself in the foot because you're just really hamstringing all that future potential that you could have. By the way, on a guaranteed basis, once it's in force, it's, that contract is locked in. It's a unilateral contract that the life insurance has to provide for you. And, um, and so to, to skip over that, right? It, it's really, it's really short-term thinking. Everything is a trade-off in life insurance. And I'm telling you, there are some big trade-offs to um, designing uh, policies that are only focused on short-term cash value accumulation. I think my favorite thing of what you said there is you want to design a policy like it's your last one. I got an annual statement recently and there was a regret that I had. And the regret yep. was simply 
man, I wish I would have started with a bigger policy because I started right. with smaller policies because that's where my income was. And, you know, I've got these little, little policies that are, you know, they're, they're nice size policies now, but, um, for the time it, it was right for my cash flow. but now it's yeah. like, you know, 10 plus years later and I get these annual statements and the, the premium is like, I don't even think about it, you know? Right, right. And it's, it's like, man, I, I just, I wish I would have had more conviction mm, and yeah. certainly more cash flow when I started, right. but the conviction <laughs> part. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I know for a lot of people, it's like, well, and I understand it. You, you want to like, this sounds too good to be true. And, and you just want to, you know, see how it works. And, mm -hmm. you know, is, is it everything that I hear, you know, and it's, you know, all, all those things, but then you get into it, you know, a decade plus passes. And then it's like, man, it's doing everything that it was supposed to do. And that little pang of regret that I have is, man, I wish I would have just, you know, bought more, paid more premium. I think that's a very common thing. I mean, I, you know, I had a client just one year into his policy. He was like, you know, it's crazy. I couldn't imagine like this premium seemed huge to me and I couldn't imagine paying any more. And he's like, now I'm like, I, I, I can't believe I didn't start with something bigger because I have all this, I have all this capital that I need to put somewhere. And, um, it, it definitely changes, you know, and the thing is like, I totally agree with what John Montoya just said. And it's like, but at the same time, it, you know, you are where you are when you're there. And so as long, as long as you start, right, it's okay. Like it's still better than what you're doing now. And, um, what ends up, what you find ends up happening is when, once you start doing this, it solves so many problems at the same time that you actually find you're in better control of your whole financial system and you end up with more money. And so it's like, it's a, it's a totally normal problem from what I've seen to have this situation where you start, I think, I think starting with the, you know, a cash flow that you can sustainably start with is the right thing to do or like, you know, all conviction and, and everything like that aside. And then, but what happens is you it improves everything. And so it's a normal problem to run into where people are like, well, now I have all this money. And so like, what do I do with it? And so it's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing that happens. And so that's why it's great to plan ahead and have a policy that can, that can service more of your, of your capital, um, and more of your financing requirements in the future and has room to expand. Like it's just going back to these short pay and all 90, 10 and all this stuff, all this stuff, like the trade-offs to those are you've completely used up, like all, all of your scheduled premium is that that's all you can do. There's no room for expansion. And so you see these people then all they're paying these premiums and the only place they can go is down. They can never go up. And what we're finding is when people, once people implement the infinite banking concept, they have more capital in the future and now they need a place to put it. So all these people talking about rates of return, lost opportunity cost on the, on the early cash value. Hey, you know what? There's lost opportunity cost to everything. What's the lost opportunity cost um, for the next 50 years that you've got this policy that you can't put any more capital into it and use it and create, you know, two, three, $4 of cash value for every dollar you pay in premium short sighted stuff, man, short sighted.
Yeah, that, that that's huge. Uh, time is the one thing that we don't get back. And so if nothing else, you know, if you're on the fence, if you're waffling, just get started. That's just it. Just get started because three, five, 10, shoot, 20 plus years goes by in a blink. It um, does. You know, we're, we're both staring at, you know, hitting 50 here uh, before too long. And, you know, I think about that the closer it comes and it's like, man, where'd the last 25 years go? And if only I'd started this in my twenties. Right. Um, so don't, don't let that be your, your regret. If you're on the fence, get started. Cause time is the one thing that you don't get back. And what, what you're doing with this IBC policy is you're locking in your, your time value, you know, your, your human life value. Um, yep. and the, the older you wait, the older you get, the longer you wait to get started, the, your, your human life value decreases, right? Um, now you can earn more income and, and increase it that way, but, uh, just, you know, statically it, it's going to, if you stay where you're at income wise, um, well, you're going to age and your human life value is going to decrease and the amount that you can put into these policies is going to start to limit itself. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Hey, by the way, since we're talking about this, um, it's not exact, but since we're on this topic, we're about 10 years since you helped me get my first infinite banking whole life insurance policy. So thank you, my friend. And, you know, Very I well. started that one with what I could start with. You know, now, of course, I wish it was bigger. And in fact, this year I I had some, you know, cash flow that I wanted to put uh, into my policy, no more room in that one. So luckily I've got more, but it was, that was actually the first time where, where I was, I had a situation where I, I don't have any more room to put into that policy, but I started at the correct place where, where it was for me at that time. Um, and so, and you know, you designed it to have additional room to expand as, as my income expanded. And now my income is just happens to be expanding past even that, which is going to happen to everybody. Right. So, but we want to try to design a policy that has the most options, the most, you know, future expandability. And also, you know, we're not saying no early cash value, right? So we're balancing this with a, a responsible and respectable level of cash value in year one. We're not just saying no cash value in year one. But what, what we're saying is we have to balance and create as many options for ourselves as possible. You know, so we've talked about the philosophy um, for the last 20 minutes here, and hopefully hopefully that resonates with you. And so how do we how do we actually get there? What are the typical design components you should look for in a and by the way, you know, there's no there's no one answer for everything, right? Um and even 9010 it's like you know could that make sense in some we're not saying it could it's impossible for that to make sense um but what we are saying is that um probably more than likely it it, it wouldn't just depending on all the other trade-offs right because we said trade-offs maybe there are some trade-offs where it makes sense right and so what we're talking about today is just a where you would kind of start as a typical IBC style policy so to speak and the, so the things you would look for, um, you'd have some base 
whole life premium, right? That's just your regular whole life insurance premium. That's going to be a component of your monthly or annual premium, however you're paying. And, and then, it's a requirement. Just want to add that. Yes. The base premium is a requirement. That's right. That's a great point. By the Hey, guess what, everybody? You know where cash value comes from? It comes from death benefit, right? So um, that base whole life premium is a requirement. Also, one more side note real quick. The whole reason we're even talking about policy design is mostly because we have to design around the modified endowment contract limits, which are the IRS limits. This, If this were the 80s, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Um, but that's what, that's what we have right now. We have to work within the IRS rules. Um, and if we go outside of those rules, the policy just becomes taxable, similar to how an IRA is taxable. By the way, would that be the end of the world? No, it wouldn't. We, do we want to try to avoid it if we can? Yep. But could there be situations where we just go ahead and mech the policy, right? Yeah, there could be. Um, but, you know, we're just talking about like a typical IBC style policy, base premium required. Um, the second component is the PUA rider. PUA stands for paid up additions or paid up additional life insurance, right? And so PUA is on there. It basically is buying little chunks of additional paid up life insurance. Paid up means no future premium is required on it. And so what that does is that actually creates a higher present value for that little chunk of life insurance. And that's what helps create more cash value in the early years of the policy. The, the greatest effect of the PUA rider is in those early years of the policy. And what you'll find is that the base premium actually starts to do more for you in the later years. PUA is still amazing to have on there. But the PUA is primarily, in, from an IBC perspective, PUA is primarily there to help us get cash value in the early years of the policy. And then I'll turn it over to you, John. I'll just wrap it up with the, th the three primary components that we're looking for. And the last one is what we would call a, a term rider uh, or a term insurance rider. And so what that means is we're, we're folding in a little bit of term insurance into the design of the whole life policy. It's not a separate uh, term insurance policy. Unlike what we've talked about before with convertible term, th at this point, we're talking about a little bit of term insurance folded into the whole life insurance policy. And what that does is it, for less premium, we're significantly bumping up the death benefit, which allows us to have more cash value in the early years without, um, without the policy becoming a mech. And so these, these are some very um, typical design strategies where we use that term insurance to increase the death benefits so that we can have more of the cash value in the early years, which of course the PUA is doing most of that in the early years. So, the, and you know, we'll get into some other things like some riders that we think you might want to have on there, but those are the three basic components of a typical um, infinite banking type of whole life insurance policy. There was one thing that you said that I think is really critical for people to understand. And you were talking about the base premium and you said, by the way, where does the cash value come from? It comes from the death benefit. And I may be paraphrasing you a little bit, but I, I like that verbatim. you said that because <laughs> it made, yeah, yeah. 
it made me think of something. And I know we, we mentioned listening to episode what 37, um, you know, why not a universal policy for IBC? But let me just explain this as, as simply as I can. When you have a universal policy, the the death benefit in that policy does not produce any cash value. The death benefit is a one-year renewable term. It increases each year. So when you pay the premium, you're paying a one-year renewable term, and then anything over that cost of insurance then gets allocated to earn interest in some other index with rules, restrictions, caps, limits, participation, what have you. Um, none of it guaranteed. But the the main thing here is the premium that you're paying never becomes cash value. In an IUL. With a whole life policy in an IUL. When, when you're paying the base premium in a whole life, I like to use the analogy of a 30-year fixed mortgage because people are very familiar with how a 30-year fixed mortgage works. Uh, you have a house, you buy a house, and you go shopping for your financing. And you know, for most people, uh, they're going to choose a 30-year fix. And you know, I'll bring this up and I'll, I'll ask people, well, why didn't you choose the, the one-year adjustable arm? You got a lower interest rate, right? Could have cash flow a little bit more, but they're like, no, you know, I I, I like the thirty year fixed. It's it's stable, and I know that it, it's going to be the same payment every year for the thirty years. And I'll say, okay, great, you like the stability. Okay, well, you know what? I think you're going to like a whole life because it has similar stability, right, for your entire life, not just each year and the next year. You know, but let's see how it does, uh, sort of thing. Um, you have that stability and control. And then going further in, in the analogy, when, when you make your mortgage payment, you have a bit of principal and a bit of interest, right? In the early going, that mortgage is mostly interest. But as you move along that amortization schedule, what happens? More of your mortgage payment is being allocated to principal to pay off that mortgage. Well, I liken that to a basic whole life policy because as you pay premium, what's happening is that you're starting to buy the equity in the death benefit. You're starting to control it as you move along into your whole life policy. As each year passes, you're you're starting to increase the guaranteed cash value of that policy just by simply paying the base premium. Now we add the the PUA writer to that, and what happens is we're we're accelerating the cash value. And I bring it back to a mortgage, and I say, well, look, if you want to pay off your thirty year mortgage faster, what do you do? Right? Most common answer is, well, I send in more principal. Well, that's what that PUA is. You're sending in more principal to your whole life policy to accelerate the cash value so that you own more equity in your death benefit faster. It's the same thinking to me. So the, the design components, base premium, PUA writer, minimally it has to have those. The term writer uh, will use where it makes sense to expand the envelope so you can dump in more premium 
through the the PUA to accelerate that that cash value. Uh, but the the idea here is that you want to pay that premium, and where you can, you want to overfund, send more principal, take advantage of that PUA writer at a minimum. Make sure you're you're hitting the minimum in your policies to keep that PUA writer in force for the next year, or in some policies, it's a rolling five year period. So you you don't want to fall asleep on this. And in fact, if you are falling asleep, you know it, it's time to wake up and realize, well, shoot, I should be overfunding this policy to create capital capital for myself. Um, but you want to you want to take a look at where your policy is and how much you've contributed to that PUA writer to make sure that you're at least hitting that minimums and ideally um, getting as much cash flow as you can into that writer. Um, everything else will take care of itself. One of the things that we've you know come to say is that you'll never be in a worse position by having access to cash, mm-hmm. and it's so true. Um, th- these things will just take care of itself, and the fact that you have a guaranteed level base premium that just creates peace of mind for you that you have for your entire life. And if you're thinking about your entire life, think of it from a long-term perspective, going back to what you said, John, you know, plan this out. Like this is going to be your last policy. At least Mm. think about it, right? Don't, don't have that short term, um, you know, how's this going to look for five years? And then, you know, after that I'm done. Yeah. Think of it like, how much, how much, you know, can I put into this policy over my life? And when you start to do that, you're going to have the elements of a, of a proper IBC policy for you and your family. Well said. I I really like that mortgage analogy as well. Um, and so that, uh, all of those things matter and we'll just kind of wrap this up with uh, a couple other things. You know, there, these are not necessarily an IBC thing, but there are a couple riders you might want to look at and make sure they're part of the policy. Sometimes they always are. Depends on how much insurance you're actually buying. But you have things like, you know, uh, chronic and terminal illness protection riders, which are just called accelerated death benefit riders. So you can get access to your death benefit in the case of a chronic or terminal illness. Another really important one is a waiver of premium rider, where if anything happens to you and you become disabled, um, the insurance company will pay the premium on your behalf. And something to understand on that one is that they don't typically pay the PUA portion, but they'll at least pay the base premium and the term rider, typically um, that portion of your premium so that you, no matter what happens, you kind of end up uh, at least in the same uh, ballpark that you expected to, even if you become disabled. And then a couple, uh, another one that is, is good. Not a lot of carriers offer it, but there's a thing called an overloan protection rider that, you know, as you, uh, in your later years, as you're taking money as income from some of these policies, um, you can borrow really as much as you want and, and you'll never run into, you know, what's sometimes called a tax trap where if you, uh, borrow too much money in, in it, uh, kind of collapses the policy, uh, all that borrowed, uh, money that you use for tax-free income could turn into actual income and it could become taxable. So, uh, some of these riders will protect against things like that. Um, anything I'm missing here, John, before we wrap up, there's what's called a chronic illness writer. Um, that's a potential, mm-hmm. um, 
add in and some of those, uh, well, th- this particular writer, um, you've got to qualify for it just like you're mm-hmm. qualifying for the rest of the policy and, you know, not everyone will get it, but it's a nice little, uh, additional writer that you can get. Basically, uh, if you can't do two out of six activities of daily living, then it gives you access to a percentage of the death benefit each year. Mm-hmm. So it's not the reason why you do an IBC policy. Um, you know, a lot of people get stuck on, well, I want, uh, you know, this policy because, uh, it, it provides all these, you know, additional optional rider benefits. And well, let, let's just remember we're, we're solving for your need for cash in your lifetime and, and really make that the priority. These additional benefits that you can get, they're great. Um, but let's make sure you're qualifying, um, and solving for the biggest need in your life. The need for financing. Absolutely. Okay, John. Awesome. Awesome episode. And for you listening out there, um, you know, if you, if you find this useful, we'd sure appreciate if you gave us a five-star review to help us, you know, get up in the algorithms and get this info info out there to more people. Um, if you would like to learn more about how this could apply in your life specifically, you can always go to the fifth edition.com and you can schedule a no obligation 30 minute call with us right there. Uh, or you can also uh, get access to our online course. If you're one of those people that just likes to do as much learning on their own as possible before talking to anyone, we have a 50% discount on our online course right there on the fifth edition.com. All right, John, thank you very much. All right, everyone. Thank you. And thank you, John.